0: take your seats. So as we're taking this quick uh, trip through uh, Paul's epistle to the church at Rome, we're up to uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. But before I read that, let me pray, and uh, then we'll uh, jump in. Father, we thank you today uh, for mercy Uh, We thank you that your heart is favorably disposed towards uh, your enemies. And Lord, we confess to you that that is an alien thing to us because uh, we typically are not favorably disposed towards our enemies. But in you there's an abundance, an overabundance, riches of mercy. And so I pray that you would teach us today to lean in that, indeed to fall upon that, uh, that that uh, is uh, our only hope, but it is a full and eternal and strong hope. So would you do that for us today in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Amen. So Romans two one to sixteen text is in the bulletin also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Therefore, you have no excuse which is a great way to begin, right? <laughs> right? And we'll, uh, we'll talk about why he says that in a few minutes. But um, yeah, that's a cold splash of water in your face this morning. Therefore, you have no excuse, O oh man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So I've lived in the West End now, almost 30 years. And uh, uh, if you live in the West End, one of the things that you do is you drive up and down Three Chopped Road. I do anyway, I'm on Three Chopped a lot. And one of the things about Three Chopped is it is a test of my sanctification, maybe my salvation, I don't know, every time I drive on it. Because um, one of the great things that Henrico County has done with that is sometimes... Uh, three chopped road is two lanes and sometimes it's four lanes and it goes down to two lanes back up to four lanes. Well the the thing that irritates me about that is is that um, people don't know how to go from four lanes to two lanes. So yesterday I was driving back from Short Pump down Chopped, and there was a, a, a guy in a minivan uh, in front of me, maybe one of you, I don't know, but uh, mm-hmm. um, he was in the right lane and uh, I, I knew that the, the right lane was ending and that he would need to merge over into the left lane where I was. And so I got right up uh, where it would make it difficult for him to see what he would do. And now, in my defense, there is a possibility he could have made a right turn right before he merged into the left lane. and so. But, you know, my other pet peeve is, you know, we have this great technology in cars where you have these little lights that blink on and off that indicate wh- which direction you're about to turn the car. And, you know, we must all be Luddites. I don't know if you know what a Luddite is, but they refuse to use technology, and so they... Many of us refuse to use that great technology that God has given us. And so, of course, he wasn't turning right. And um, I finally slowed down a little bit and let him over. And I said to myself, You're the worst. (laughs) Not to myself. (laughs) Yeah. You're the worst. So as, as, as we think about that, and as we look at this text, you know, one of the things that we tend to think about when, if you're familiar at all with the book of Romans, is we, we read those great verses there in Romans 1, 16 and 17, you know, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation, that Paul is not ashamed of it, and that it is the heartbeat, the passion of his life. And yet, in the midst of this, he goes on for three chapters, three long chapters, three, frankly, kind of overbearing chapters on human depravity. Why does he talk about sin so much? And why is it that if the gospel is good news, which it is, it's the only real good news, Why in the world do we have to spend all this time thinking about these things that we'd rather not think about? Or at at best, what we would like to think about is when we read this catalog of sins and we hear about this, we think of everyone else except ourselves, right? Right? And so it's, it's, a, it's, an interesting, it's, it's an interesting question, and it's one worth uh, thinking about. Years ago, uh, I used to get tons of complaints from people because I talked about sin too much. And, um, uh, you know, it's like the, the guy who says, you know, um, did you go to church yesterday? Yes. What did the pastor talk about? Sin. Well, what did he say about it? Well, he's against it. The, the, the fact is, you know, you need to add to that, he's against it and he's a sinner too. So the the thing that he wants us to see and the thing that is so important for us today and is so difficult for people uh, like me, like you, to come to grips with is that Paul's point and going on for three chapters and belaboring the point of human sinfulness is to get us to see the reality of the web that we are caught in and that we can't get out of it, that we're stuck, and that there is no human device, no human thought, no human means whereby we can extricate ourselves from sin, but not only from that, but, but, but the effects of sin and the fact that it uh, affects every single part of us. Now, Let's be clear, we're not as bad as we could be, uh, um, but if, if that's your comfort today, I'm not as bad as these people, or I'm not as bad as I could be, you're in the right place. Because that is kind of one of our defaults that we go to whenever we're confronted uh, uh, with, with this. And so, what Paul's getting at here is as he wants to leave us all without any uh, shred, any shred of self righteousness, any shred of righteousness that we find in ourselves that is outside of the work of Christ for us and in us. And so it's it's important for us to come to grips with this because the gospel will not be good news with you unless uh, and good news to you unless you first come to grips with the fact of the bad news about human sin. Well let's 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 not call it human sin. Let's call it Steve's sin. Right? Let's call it Jennifer's sin. Let's call it Maureen's sin. Right, because that's 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 really what it what it what it boils down to, right? So, so what he's getting at here in this text, uh, he's he wants us to see that uh, uh, that this is a universal thing, and that none of us, uh, if left to our own devices, can deal with this thing that is killing us, right? And so you may be thinking here, you know, that's why he begins here with there's, uh, therefore, you know, you, you have no excuse. Because uh, uh, what what he wants us to, to come to grips with is that not only are we stuck, but he's gone on to say there in, in Romans chapter 1, the fact is that there's enough evidence for who God is and who we are as his creatures to leave us all without any excuse. And so uh, as you look at this, you may be thinking, well, wait, is that that, I have some excuses. I'm tired, I'm hungry. Um, as we've prayed a bunch this morning about uh, difficult people, right? Uh, difficult people, difficult relationships are messengers of mercy to us in the sense that what they teach us and what they tell us is, um, that uh, before God, we're all, at best, difficult relationships and difficult people, right? So, um, so it's good for us to, to look at this and to kind of put ourselves in the camp of seeing uh, that we agree with Paul, that left to our own devices, we have no, no hope of righteousness at all. And so a good question for you to ask would be, do you get to the end of the day and honestly think that I have not treated or thought of anyone else as not worthy of love, right? Uh, in all of your interactions and in all of the things that you do with, with folks, can you say, when you put your head down on the pillow at night, I have loved everybody as myself, I've loved them the way God loves me, Right? So the fact is that we are Christians and that we say that God is love and that uh, the founder of our faith, one of the things that he said is, is that we love our enemies. uh, The the fact of the matter is none of us, uh, all of us, uh, are in some way, shape, or form hypocrites in the fact that we say that what we believe and what we do are uh, often uh, at odds with one another. Next slide. So uh we will uh, be quick to make excuses for our sins while we're quick to condemn others right um Because what Paul has just said here, and this is a, you know, he's trapping us by his logic, because he ends chapter 1 with these words, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways... (laughs) of doing evil, they disobey their parents, they have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And so he ends chapter one with that, and then he goes straight into chapter two with, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, because he knows that when he gives this catalog of sin, that the human tendency in that is not to say, I am the man, that's me you're describing there, but to immediately begin to think about others, right? So what are we to do, and what, are, what, is, what is Paul's argument here? What is it that he wants us to come to grips with? Well, the first thing is he wants us to think about two true things about God's character. Now, the Bible is very clear that, that God is love, right? Uh, and that the essential characteristic, the overwhelming characteristic of God uh, is his love, God's love is manifest to us primarily in two ways. One is by his justice. And the other is in his kindness. Now, we, it probably makes sense to you to understand love as being connected to kindness. But the fact is, uh, God's love is also manifest to us in his justice. Because God is rightly angered because he loves I mean, he loves us. He loves all that he has made. He is justly angered at that which thwarts the purpose for which we were made. If I have a child who is uh, an outrageous alcoholic, and I'm not angry because of this sin and because of this issue in his life, then you can't say that I love them. Or, or we might look at the, 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 in, 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 this, in, in the same way uh, that we have, do we love others, and are we uh, uh, engaged with what the Bible describes as other love if we have no concern for justice on the behalf of others, right? So both of those things are true, and both of those, these, the fact that God is just and that he is kind spring from the fact that he is love. So, whenever God judges sin, he is not unjust. He shows no partiality. Uh, He holds the standard and he judges all sin. And he judges it rightly and he judges it fairly. But God is also kind. In fact, Paul says he has riches of kindness, he has an abundance of kindness. That in the character of God, and these things aren't opposed to one another, but actually work together and are fully integrated in him in ways that I don't think that it's ever fully integrated in us. Paul says here that God's riches of kindness is shown to us in his forbearance and in the fact that he is patient with us in the way in which he deals with us. Because he could, you know, judge sin immediately in all times and all places, and if he did that, we wouldn't exist. We we wouldn't be able uh, to stand. Um, And so it's important for us, and Paul is making this argument here, that for us to fully come to grips with the joy of the gospel, the joy of sins forgiven, and the joy of righteousness that comes to us from outside of ourselves, we must first come to grips with the fact uh, that we are undeserving of that, and that it is simply the kindness of God that makes uh, us uh, hear the gospel, believe the gospel, and finally uh, uh, rest on these things. Because if we don't come to grips with our need and our sin, then the cross really becomes meaningless to us. We rob the cross, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, of its power if we don't see in the cross God's justice, that he's judging our sin in Jesus. And secondly, that we don't see that we get that, not because we deserve it, but out of the kindness and the mercy of God. Um, he, he's going to go on to say in chapter 3, for all have sinned, that's you know pretty comprehensive, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through... Uh, Oh, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So, I, I, um, that word propitiation is one you use all the time, right? I mean, it's a, it's a word that just rolls right off of our tongue. Well, a propitiation is a, an atoning sacrifice that turns aside the just judgment of God against our sin. But it doesn't just negate the just judgment of God. Your sin is justly dealt with on the cross. Your and my sin gets the wrath it deserves in Jesus. So Jesus takes upon himself the The suffering, the tribulation, the judgment, the rejection, the guilt, the shame, all of those things that our sin deserve, it's all heaped upon him. And that's why he is crushed at the cross, right? So that we will not be uh, uh, crushed. Now, Paul goes on here in this text to say something that may seem a little bit contradictory, right? He goes on to say... um, uh, uh, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now, is Paul so uh, illogical that while he's been telling us all along that we're justified by grace that, and, and that the, the instrument that we uh, use to receive that grace is faith, not by doing works of the law, why does he go and then say this here? Well, what he's doing here is he's quoting from psalm 62 and so it would be important for us to understand what it is that the work of the law is that 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 paul is referring to in psalm 62 so we're going to read all of psalm 62 it would be would it would be worth your while to memorize this psalm i know uh we're kind of quaint about uh scripture memory uh but this would be a good one to carry around in your heart and mind all the time truly my soul finds rest in God. He's going to say this again. He's going to repeat this again. Uh, My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. He's repeating himself, isn't he? My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Surely the low-born are but a breath, the high-born but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God. And with you, Lord, is unfailing love, and you reward everyone according to what they have done. So what is it, then, that we must do uh, to be righteous? What is it that we must do to gain this right standing before God so that we can say to him uh and say with him that we have his righteous, that we are justified, and that we have right standing before him. Well, the psalm writer makes it pretty clear here, right? Find your rest in him. When when God made the world, right? He did it in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested, right? When he finished, he rested. When Jesus put himself forward as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, as the propitiation uh, for our sins. He said, it is finished, so that you and I could rest. You see, what, what, what we do is we fall upon the grace and the goodness and the work of God. We don't use anything else as a crutch or a cane or a walking stick to hold us up. Because the boldness that we've already sung about, the, the, the confidence that we have standing before God and his justice is, has nothing to do with anything that we have done. Rather, it rests, the primary activity, that you and I, busy people, active people, the primary activity of faith is passive. It is resting upon the work of Christ. So the, the, why is that so key for us? Because the tendency that we have and that Paul has been repeatedly pointing out to us is, is that we carry around in our hearts and our lives this kind of scale where we look about us and when we are confronted by our sin and our shortcoming, what we tend to do is look at others because you can always find somebody who's worse than you or at least somebody you think is worse than you. And you can take from that, well, at least I'm not like them, so I'm stacking up pretty good. You know, it's um, it's like the class ranking system, right? You know, you look around and you think, who's ahead of me, who's the valedictorian, who's, you know, that sort of thing. uh, uh, Years ago, uh, at one of the schools we were involved in, there were two seniors, only two. And I thought, oh, that's terrible. (laughs) You know, wonder what their relationship is like, right? Who's Who's going to be the valedictorian? Well, at least you could say you're the salutatorian, right? You know, it, <laughs> I, can't, you know I was second in my graduating class. Well, how many people were there, you know? So, uh, uh, so often, uh, so, so what we do with that is we carry around in our heads this kind of sliding scale, and God's not having it. Because he doesn't have a sliding scale. He has one scale, perfect, heartfelt, obedience, perfect integration between heart and hand all the time, 24-7, without stop, right? And so, so, the, so, so the fact is, what Paul wants us to do and what is so important for us today is to come to grips with that. Now, now why is it that uh, this is the only way? Why is it that this is the uh, God's, when he looks at us, he sees that what's absolutely essential for us is a, a falling, a surrender to the reality of what it is he has done for us in Christ. And part of that surrender is coming to the end of ourselves, seeing that left to our own devices, we are found wanting and that our only hope is in Christ. Well, why is that? Well, uh, because the the truth of the matter is, since uh, Genesis chapter three, human beings have been on a hunt, have been on a search to find some way where we can argue with God to say, but I have this. And what God is saying to us, you have nothing but I have everything you will ever need in abundance. Fall on me. Trust me. Now, why is this so important for us? Well, it's important for us because God loves you. Yeah, he loves you. And his heart for you and I is to live lives of freedom and joy because you and I will never experience the freedom for which we were created or the joy for which we were created until we have our uh, hands, our fingers, pried off of our sense of our own self-righteousness and embrace fully the righteousness that is ours in Christ. Paul asks the question to the church at Galatia, which is a great diagnostic question for us. And it's this, what has happened to all your joy? And that doesn't mean that we have some kind of toxic fixation on happiness or never seeing sad things for what they are but it sees those things from the standpoint and the hope that we have uh, in this righteousness, this work that has been done for us, and we have the confidence now to love, to serve, and to walk through this life knowing that everything that we could not provide for ourselves has been provided for us in Jesus Christ. When was the last time someone came to you and accused you of having too much joy? Right? When was the last time someone came to you and said to you, you know, you are uh, um, such a reconciler? When was the last time someone came to you and said, you know... Uh, I have to say, I've been around you a lot and I haven't heard you complaining, right? Why is this so uh, important and why does this, this matter? Because you and I were designed for lives that are so much richer and fuller than what we tend to settle for. And not only that, the eternal life of everyone in this room depends on the kindness of God, not our own kind of concepts of goodness, right? And so when you come to grips with that, when you come to realize that, that, the, that, that your only hope but is a rich and full and strong hope, a certain hope, when you come to grips with that, that's where you and I will experience freedom and joy uh, that we tend to think we'll get in these little things, in these small things, these little tidbits of creaturely comforts or creaturely things that we think are uh, the pathway to us uh, uh, for real life. Real life is found in resting, throwing yourselves, doing the work of passively resting in and relying in the work of Jesus Christ for you and I. That's the pathway to joy, and that is what you and I were created to experience. And so when we come to the table, we have this stark and beautiful reminder to us of this Jesus who died, who was the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but our as uh, the theologian John Gerstner once said, which it just shocked me, our damnable good works. Now that's a hard, that's, that's a crazy thing to say, right? Damnable good works, those two things don't seem to go together. Well, they absolutely go together if our good works are the thing that we trust in. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. For when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Let's confess our sins. Which, isn't that a funny thing to say? You know, let's confess our sins. You know, it's... um, this happy occasion that we have here before God and the people sitting around you to say things about you that are true, and but we really do we really mean it? You know, one of the things that I've always thought is the most stunning thing that ever happens around here is when people stand up in front of the church to join the church, and the first thing we ask them to say yes to is that they're sinners. Um, in the sight of God, justly deserving His displeasure and without hope except by his sovereign mercy, that's a crazy thing to say about yourself, right? Maybe you know if you have children, maybe you don't want your children in here as a parent when you say that because they, when you get home, they might remind you of the fact that, Dad, you just said you were a sinner. Uh, let's negotiate. But the the <laughs> but 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 the fact of the matter is. Uh, that is the linchpin, Uh, that is what opens the floodgate of the mercy of God to us. So let's dive into that flood of mercy by confessing our sins to God and to one another this morning. Pray with me. Almighty and merciful Father, you created us for communion with yourself and one another, but we rebelled and made enemies of our maker and each other. We have despised your providence, doubted your love, and become a law unto ourselves. We believe that human wrath would work the righteousness of God, and so have taken matters into our own hands. Still, you remembered us, our God, for good. In your tender mercy, you gave your only Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption." He made there a full atonement for our sin, offering once for all the sacrifice of himself. We thank you that your mercy is higher than the heavens, wider than our wanderings, and deeper than all of our sins. Grant us repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, that we may desire what is good and gladly live in union with him. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. "'Jesus said, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it, just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his followers.'" This uh, table, this remembrance, and this feeding upon Jesus Christ is uh, for people who have come to the end of themselves and fallen on the mercy and grace of God as their hope, as their faith, uh, as really their identity. Uh, If that describes you this morning, uh, and you have professed to a body of believers somewhere, that uh, your only righteousness is found in Jesus Christ. Uh, Then he welcomes you again to this table to be reminded and to take hold in your hands the evidence of your righteousness, the evidence of the atoning sacrifice, the evidence that the wrath of God that your and my sin rightly deserves has been poured out upon Jesus Christ. And so that now you have a seat at his table. Uh, As the elders come down front uh, this morning to assist me, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine. The inner rings are grape juice. Underneath each cup is a uh, gluten-free wafer. If you're unable to come down front, raise your hand, and we'll see to it uh, that you uh, get served. Once everyone has been served... Uh, We will eat and drink together.